everyone. Welcome to another episode of Movie Mastery. That's right. It's the podcast where we watch the movies that you have told us to. We sure do. That's right. I am your host, as always, John. With me, my co-host, Jeff. Indubitably. Ha <laughs> mm-hmm. ha. Yes, indeed. And this time around, well, I mean, we rolled up probably one of the most recent films we have watched in a while yeah it is prisoners of the ghost land a nick cage movie which is always sort of a crapshoot yeah yeah you never know what you're gonna get with a nick cage movie and uh i'm kind of mid on nick cage if i'm if it's okay, I feel okay about saying that because there's no fans in here to punch at me Mm -hmm. or tear or, or rend my garments but i've always even when he's at his best, I'm still like, yeah, he sure does act a lot. That, that's about as big as he gets for me. I, I, I like him in some stuff, but Thing it's is, been a while since I gave a shit. There are movies that I feel use Nicolas Cage's particular energy mm-hmm. well. Yeah. And, and they're all from like 20 or 30 years ago. It's fucking Moonstruck and Leaving Las Vegas. No way, man. I mean, fucking... Uh, color out of space rules real hard mm-hmm. uh sure that's fair yeah he's you know face off great <laughs> no yeah again but that uh, that's like 20 or fuck 30 years ago yes uh but this definitely Con feels, Air, you know obviously oh, yeah yeah you know the classics uh-huh this feels like the director wanted nick cage energy he was yes. like i'm making a movie specifically to have nicholas cage in it yeah and then it does failed to have a movie that mattered in any other way <laughs> it, it it specifically feels very much like he wanted nicholas cage but got very modern nicholas cage with just a hint of that era when the dude was trying to pay off all of his like scottish castles or whatever yeah the shit that was where he you know that was the era that's the era that made it so that nick cage movies are a crapshoot are you going to get, you know, him going all nuts and he's doing something big and interesting like in Mandy, which is admittedly an, a, 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 a excuse or an exception to my general Nick Cage rules? Or are you going to get him just sleepwalking through the role and mumble mouthing out lines and it's clear he wrote himself because he didn't bother to learn the script like he was like in Bangkok Dangerously or something? Yeah, I mean, you get things where it's like, oh, are you watching like Pig and he gives a shit? Yeah, great. Are you watching Willy's Wonderland and he clearly does not give a shit? This one has strong Willy's Wonderland energy. And I know people fucking love that movie because, oh, he he doesn't talk in it. How interesting. Uh, it's honestly a blessing he doesn't because half these movies, it feels like he makes up his own lines. And I, I don't give a shit because there's no interest in that movie. He's just wailing on random Five Nights at Freddy's knockoffs. Honestly. That provide no resistance. You could have removed all of his lines from this movie yes and it would have made zero difference it would have improved it somewhat yeah because it feels like again most of the time when he has lines and he does not have a lot in this because he is playing you know a nameless hero that basically just gets called hero yeah nameless hero who has to dress in a cool thing and drive a neat car that is modern nicholas cage i'm not really trying shit but every time he has a line it's like he starts to deliver it like he was going to do it. And then the director ran up to him and goes, no, no, no. Hey, remember when you were in like bad lieutenant? Mm-hmm. Do it like that. And then he has to do the line for a second time. 
but with Nicolas Cage. Yeah, doing like, the big shit, the big, the big wild-eyed crazy shit that I know is what moves T-shirts or whatever. But it doesn't. It, it needs the movie to match that to 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 fit. Yeah, and this movie is very stylized. It is trying to oh, be something. It. This movie feels like. I know this is weird that it's so much in a small amount of time for our various shows, but God, this feels like someone was trying to make a six-string six string, six string samurai again. again. Yeah, it's got that that hyper stylized post-apocalypse thing going on. Yeah, um, it's in like this we're case, in a post-apocalypse, but we're not going to explain anything that happened, and it's all very stylized. And this time, instead of fetishizing fifties musicians and slash, I guess we're gonna style or we're gonna fetishize mostly Japan. Mostly, yeah. And, you know, the director is Japanese. Yeah. And the other thing is you can tell Nicolas Cage actually gives a shit about this. I mean, one, the director had serious health problems at one point, and Cage straight up moved the shooting of the movie from Mexico to Japan to help out the director. So he, he cared about this thing? Yeah. He, the impression you get from watching him in this movie is that he is dog walking for a paycheck. It is wild because when he moves it to Japan, they also lose two of the main, you know, non-Japanese actors. Okay. So Sophia Butella was not originally in that role. It was Imogen Poots. Okay, sure. Why not? So, you know, it it also the people who made this uh, XYZ mm -hmm. did a bunch of basically all of the best modern Nicolas Cage movies. So they did. Mom and Dad, Mandy, and Color Out of Space. Okay. So it feels like, oh, they've already had these three hits. He knows that they do good work. He's like, I'm all on board. But then the actual movie result is just more style than substance? Very much so, yes. And and to a, uh, a significant fault, because the movie's about 100 minutes long. And if you cut out all the scenes of characters just repeating themselves over and over again, it'd probably sl slide in at about 60. Yeah. There's about 40 minutes extra of this movie is just, oh, just say your line again. No, no a, a few more times. We'll just, we're, we're going to take all the takes and just, you, just use them all. And most of the things are like, oh, we're going to get real slow panning yeah. shots of what's going on. You're like, I get it. You're trying to set a style tone here. But then once you've done that, It'll come back, you'll have, like, two lines that are repeated, and then do the same slow shot over everything again. And I'm like, you don't need to do everything twice. The fucking plot of this movie does everything twice. Yes, no, it's it's a slog. Like, it's it's got some neat visuals, but I, I know I, I've said this about other movies in the past, but this is the kind of movie where it would work really well played without the sound turned on in the background, like, on the TVs and the screens of a gay bar. <laughs> Or any kind of bar where there's a lot of dancing and big neon lights and lots of energy. You know, like, because that way it's just, oh, look, cool visual imagery is over there and I don't have to try and watch it. Yeah, something interesting is generally happening, you know, visually on screen. You've got, you know, whether it's the weird post-apocalyptic people, like, running around and there's a bunch of, like, streamers hanging off of them. Or you've got the, the girl like, group that like, samurai town where yeah. it hangs out in the girl group in the in the apocalypse town that dance sings in unison everything they do uh, it's it's all it's all visually arresting and kind of neat to look at but then you actually hear it and it's just the characters repeating boring stuff not to mention you 
have to watch this with subtitles. Yeah. Because there is a lot of stuff that isn't in English, but all of the stuff that is, you're like, I I cannot tell what the fuck anyone is saying. Yeah. half. I mean, I'm assuming this is just because half of this was filmed in Japan, but a lot of the English lines sound like they're spoken phonetically. Yeah. And when they are, you get the subtitles and you're like, oh, because that was in Japanese. No, hold on. Yeah. That wasn't that was in weird phonetically spoken English. Yeah, sometimes you'll get the the subtitles and you're like, "Oh yes, because they're speaking Japanese." Yes. And then sometimes someone says something and yeah, you have that moment where your brain is like, "This is still Japanese because I didn't understand any of what that was." And you see the subtitle and then it hits you and you're like, "No, no, they did say that. I just couldn't really tell." Yes. If I had been normally listening to this without subtitles, I would have gone I don't know what that is. <laughs> there are also multiple characters that will switch between speaking intelligibly and unintelligibly. Yeah. And the uh, the, the subtitles don't quite know how to how to handle that. <laughs> so it's interesting, but there's a lot more stuff to talk about on the spoiler side. A spoiler for review. It's a it's too long. It's a bit of a slog. It's got some cool visual moments. Depends on how much you like Sophia Boutella and Nick Cage. And I guess Bill Mosley. Yeah. If you're into horror icons. Uh, I mean, I it. It is a movie that, for the spoiler-free review, I'd say, if you are into movies where you're like, oh, I'm not particularly worried about getting invested in a plot. I really do want oh, you to have the it. style. Yeah. I want something visually interesting, and I want it to try and evoke something without actually you know, having to worry about what anyone said. Great. Sure. Put it on. It'll be fine. But even then, I feel like there are better options for that. Yeah. So, eh, there you go. We will play a little music. We're going to come back. We're going to dive into the plot as it exists. Or sort of, because there's one huge glaring plot hole in this that's still bothering me. Yeah. So, (laughs) we will be right back with a full spoiler review of 2021's Prisoners of the Ghostlands. Prisoner, prisoner, locked up, can't get you off my mind, off my mind, Lord knows I tried a million times, million times, oh, oh, why can't you, why can't you just let me go? We are back, and it is time to discuss the intricacies and weird bits that happen in Prisoners of the Ghostland. You know those kind of movies where they show you a scene and then they keep flashing back to the same scene over and over again so that you know how serious that was? Yeah. This movie for that, it's uh, the beginning of the film is uh, Nick Cage and his partner played by Nick Cassavetes. Who was the other person who got replaced. Oh, very good. Looks like he got replaced from like the guy who played Bull on, on Night Court. Yeah, I don't remember who the other person was that was in it, but... Richard Mall? Uh, Was it Richard Mall? It's probably Richard Mall. Uh, Ed Screen. Oh, jeez. Okay, sure. Why not? Ed Screen and Imogen Poots out there in yep. the world not being in this. Would have been in this. Yeah. And are not. And honestly, no big loss. No, it's fine. Who gives a shit? But the two of them rob a bank. And everyone in the bank is Japanese and is speaking Japanese. Because you can tell because they moved the production to Japan for that part. It's also designed to look very weird and stylized. Every character in the bank, aside from them, who are dressed like modern bank robbers, are wearing candy-colored primary one-color outfits. Yeah, you've got, you know, people in like, oh, here's a bright green suit that I have, and the bank tellers are all wearing, like, fully white outfits. Yes, and everyone's wearing one color, whole body, and it's a bright, super primary, obvious color. Um, 
Nicolas Cage is in full froth trying to be as realistic as possible about robbing a bank, so all of his lines are just like, Shut the fuck up! That kind of thing. He's not even attempting an enunciation. Um, and then his partner goes rogue and shoots a weird little Japanese boy who is trying to offer him some gumballs from a big cup of gumballs that he has. Yeah, I mean, we don't get that in the first flashback. It'll take a while for that to actually be shown. It's fairly obvious it's going to happen. He's already pointing the gun at the kid, and then Nick Cage whirls around, and then we cut to the modern day. Well, yeah, um, I mean, what we get is the... The fucking uh, machine? Well, we get, you know, they're in there, they both have guns, they're pointing around. We see Cassavetes, whose character is... Psycho. Named Psycho. Yeah. Uh, point the gun, like, around at people and point at a kid, and then we just see random people getting blown away, and you're like, oh, was this Nick Cage and him? I guess they're trying to be like, like, it's very obvious that this is going to be set up of, oh, this guy went crazy and Nick yeah. Cage tried yeah. to stop him. It's going to be the Con Air thing where Nick Cage is in a bad situation, but he's not actually allowed to be a bad guy. And we don't get it then, but it is, you know... Yeah, there's this kid with a bunch of gumballs, and he's he's definitely dead, and that's a problem. Get used to that gumball machine, because you're going to be watching it explode for 15 or so minutes of oh, this movie. Oh, God, so much of that. It's like, oh, let's have this gumball machine explode. We're not going to put gumballs in there. Clearly it's just gonna, balls. It's just, clearly just either bouncy balls or little, like, like, plastic balls. Yeah, just ping pong balls and shit. None of it's a gumball. And, and all different sizes, which yeah. is weird. And you're going to watch this thing crack open and gumballs spill out of it over and over and over again to the point where you watch so much candy falling in this movie that you start humming, like, if you want to view paradise to yourself huh? as it's happening, like, do 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 paradise, simply look around and do it. And, and, and you're like, oh, well, maybe I should watch that movie instead of this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, the setting outside of that, because this also takes place i believe like the bank robbery also takes place in i think samurai town which is pretty much the only city that exists as far as we can tell well the whole movie is set in uh basically there's some desert open field shots but everything else is set in either what looks like in a fake western village that's designed to be a little bit shanghai style as well maybe some japan in there too or a post-apocalyptic parking lot uh, in front of a factory with a clock on it. Those are the two locations. Um, now you get in these, in you know, in the city setting proper. Again, this movie is not going to be like, oh, there was an apocalypse. Whatever happened, it is mostly going to do. And one of the, you know, better things it does is storytelling through the shit that's in the background. Yeah, so, sure. You know, you have as they're walking to the bank, you can see a big banner that's like. If you don't pay your taxes, you'll be shot dead. You can see at the sheriff's office, which we go to after this sort of flashback to a bank robbery, there's a little scrolling marquee below the uh, office that says, like, get your shot for radiation poisoning. Right. So there's a bunch of stuff in there that's sort of like low key going, okay, there was it looks like there was probably some sort of you know, nuclear apocalypse, and this is like a holdout town that still exists. Yeah, and of course, it's all hyper-stylized. It's just like how uh, the difference between the beginning and the end of Zardoz, you know, where where you start at the end. For where Zardoz, it's like a, you know, a, a wasteland full of murderous barbarians. And then at a certain point in the movie, it clicks, and you're just, oh, it's a weirdo society run by one very important weirdo. Uh. This is the weirdo society. Yeah, the, I mean, the thing is, 
the the town is stylized in that it's sort of like half cowboy, half samurai, even though it is called a samurai town. Mm-hmm. Like the sheriff's office is a very Western uh, sheriff's office. You have, you know, half of the people in the town are like, I'm dressed like a cowboy and I have a revolver or a rifle. And the other half are, I am dressed like a samurai. I have a katana. And then the uh, the middle half there is all the women who are all dressed as geishas, but the face paint's just on their necks and, and chins instead of on the, their, their uh, face. Yeah. And they are all prostitutes. The entire town is prostitutes. Yeah, it's just either you are a cowboy, a samurai, or a prostitute. And that is the only jobs that are available in this town. There is a little restaurant that John and I will go to in San Diego here to celebrate when we have milestones for the show. When yeah. we hit like target goals or some book deal, stuff like that. And it is called the Dumpling Inn, but there is a bar inside the Dumpling Inn that is called the Shanghai Saloon, which is a mix between Chinese action stuff and Cowboy Saloon. And this whole movie looks like it's set in there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> except that the Shanghai Saloon looks good. Yeah. The I mean, this, this is looks fine. good. It, it looks like they're in a toy town. It looks like they're it looks like the back lot they used was like an old timey sheriff village in like Legoland or something that they just dug up. I would have sort of liked if there was a slightly better blend because because they're doing the like this is all cowboys and samurais if the sort of red light district where all the prostitutes hang out that we spend most of our time in in this town felt more like oh this is a western brothel mixed with like geishas i would go oh that you're you're going for this. Yeah, a couple more women, because there's none, so even one or two of them in, like, the corset and bu- bustle kind of set up for, like, the Western style yeah. of, uh, of uh, exotic dancer slash prostitute would have been fantastic to see as well, as long as you're mixing everything else up. But no, instead, we get uh, Sophia Butella sneaking out of town with a couple of her friends. Uh, all of them are in the sort of standard kimono yeah running away with some still some of that like makeup on like their neck and then like lipstick heavily on there yeah they're all all the girls in town are given this sort of caked on foundation but it stops at a very severe angle line that matches their jaw yeah i mean occasionally you get someone who will have like something on their forehead but you never get like the full like face makeup yeah and they go out, they get out of town after someone manages to, like, signal that the person who is watching out on the street is gone. They get into a car and leave, and they run into the ghosts of the ghost land. Mm-hmm. And then we get to go to this, uh, whatever, the sheriff's office later, yeah. because it's time for Nicolas Cage, the unnamed hero named hero to <laughs> go I, save everyone. And again that's one of those things that marks the modern nick cage movie where his character is so disposable and uninteresting that they don't even bother naming them i've hit a point where i'm wondering if he isn't intending on not naming his characters because he thinks his name carries more value than whatever fake name they gave him because you know he's just going to be named something like you know like uh jake Steelworthy or something just a good guy name um obviously a jake you can't do a movie hero that's not named jake um and he's just like, fuck it. It'd be better if people just thought I was Nick Cage in this. I mean, at least for this movie, it makes sense. It's so stylized and the whole, you know, 
man with no name thing when you're doing this cowboy samurai whatever i'm like it makes sense in this movie to be like yeah nicholas cage is a hero without a name that's fine for the stylized version of it in shit like willie's wonderland you're like why why are you just some random dude that doesn't talk yeah this makes no sense yeah you're, you're right it makes more sense here but the fact is it happens in a lot of nick cage movies and i'm starting to wonder if there isn't a reason why that's the case yeah like sure you can probably rationalize it in half or more of them but you know it's kind of like the tom hanks peeing thing people need to pee <laughs> obviously that sometimes they'll need to pee in movies and you'll have to watch them pee in those movies and then you know when people point out well tom hanks does it like a lot he pees in a lot of his movies <laughs> And, you know, just like how Liam Neeson pees in, like, a lot of his pants. <laughs> a lot of them. Yeah. Most of them, even. Yeah. So, anyway, I'm just, I'm just, uh, this is far too much of a, like, modern day Nick Cage movie for me, but I, I get that it has some differences. I mean, the thing is, I feel like it's the director trying yeah. to evoke that because, you know, there's a lot of the modern Nick Cage sort of things that you see in them of oh okay i get it this is a modern nick cage movie where he doesn't give a shit but for some reason in here you're like oh yeah i wanted those that's the thing i was going for rather than i just did that yeah so uh he is tied up in a jail in a sheriff's office his hands are bound tightly enough that they're all swollen and messed up but he is still a raw and remarkable badass even tied up and not talking because at one point a fly buzzes past one of his hands and he catches it so you know he's badass Hmm. Um, but prisoners come and untie him because the governor is coming back to town. This is a character played by Bill Mosley, who we've seen in at least one movie before. At least one movie. Yeah, because he was uh, one of the brothers in Repo the Genetic Opera. Man, I was hooked on him. I yeah. was hooked on was that hooked brother. on that brother. Yeah, he was Luigi, the angry one. Yeah. Uh, I, I think he's mostly known for horror stuff, is Bill Mosley. Like, uh, he's in one of the, the, the Texas Chainsaw Massacres. Yeah. Anyway, um... He is going to arrive in what this movie loves to do, which is slowly burn through time by having in the entire town do a parade. They do so many parades. There's a lot of someone slowly moves through a street in this. Yes. And this is the first one. Yeah. Where it's this governor's car slowly moves down the street flanked by about a dozen of these prostitutes we're all just saying the governor the governor and clap, clapping clap, clap. the governor the governor clap 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 and this goes on and on until it's finally like a full-on sonic assault and you're just fucking sick of it and he comes out and it takes him i thought for a moment when it's you know i figured as soon as he got out of the car he'd do the yeah, thing with his hand and they all they'd all stop right away but instead he just lets it go for a while and i was like oh he doesn't even notice it anymore does he but then he does eventually get tired and tell them all to shut up yes it's <laughs> i mean the governor is <sighs> high-pitched cowboy bad guy, white suit. He's, yeah, he's a cowboy bad guy, and he's sort of that standard like, ooh, I'm wearing gloves, and I don't like to get dirt on my white suit, and I'm very evil, but we don't get enough of him doing anything in this. We get, like, one scene of him being kind of weirdly mean to one person mm -hmm. and that's about it and i'm like man i feel like this is a character that with the way bill mosley is playing them and how this movie is set up i feel like i should hate this person more 
but nothing explicit gets told about what is going on. It's, again, a lot of implied stuff. Yeah, I think it's supposed to be a pretty strong implication that he's been raping or abusing both the, char- the character played by Sophia Butella and her adopted little sister Susie, yeah. uh, who is another girl that's in this movie. Yep. Um, she is in the car. She is, she is still in the car for this, for most of this scene. Um, the other fun thing about the people in the town is if anyone bursts into song, they will all join in. That is wild at the point where they bring, you know, Nicolas Cage out and he's in chains and he's got, you he's know, wearing a fundoshi. Yeah. Just a fundoshi and nothing else, which leads to a lot of the cat calling from the girls who are saying things like, show me your balls. Show us your balls. <laughs> but. Like, he gets out there, and then randomly, someone starts a fucking song up, and everyone is like, yeah, I want to join in singing this. And even the governor's like, oh, hell yeah, I love a good sing-along. He waits longer than everybody else, so you get the impression he's grumpy about it, but eventually he's also singing along. It's Susie who starts it. Susie is the weird little girl that is clearly in his clutches. Yeah. She has a toy robot and will be one of the more annoying aspects of the movie because she's always either screaming uh, starting weird songs or pointing the robot at people and making laser noises for minutes and minutes at a time. Yeah, she is the crazy one. Yes. And I, you know, I assume we are supposed to believe like, oh, she's lost her mind because the governor has abused her. Yeah. But the governor basically does not pay attention or give a shit about her except for one scene where he's like when he's desperate towards the end. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So she has this little toy robot that she'll point at people and go da 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 da, which will last for so long. Yeah. Um. But yeah, she starts this song. Uh. The governor is like yelling at the people in town, not because they're singing, but because they kicked a soccer ball towards him and it got on his shoe. Yeah. But eventually, we we got to get to the setup of this. He pulls out a big leather jumpsuit and says something like i do find myself as a person with a particular appreciation for black leather now i believe you'll find that this garment will fit you appropriately he's like he's gonna talk like that he's a fine southern gentle bad guy yeah but nick cage gamely takes off his underpants makes sure everyone can see his dick because we have one character who's sketching him as it erases the part where his fundoshi was yep um and puts on this suit which clearly has big light things all over it and once he puts it on and clicks it all the way closed for some reason, he gets in a fist fight with a sword guy. God, the the weird fight shit in this is wild specifically for uh, the character of Yasujiro, the governor's sort of main bodyguard. Yes. Now, obviously, Nicolas Cage, once he's in this outfit, like a couple people are still angry about the bank robbery that he did however many years ago it was we have no idea there's no real sense of time because he looks exactly the same as when he did the bank robbery yeah. obviously but we know that another Sophia character Butella was like a kid when it happened yeah so it's been at least 12 to 15 years because of Sophia Butella's age yeah and at that point i was like okay so people are still super pissed at him did he get caught immediately then was he only caught recently a lot of shit doesn't get said but they're very angry. A bunch of dudes with samurai swords come at him, and he gets into a fist fight with guys with swords and begins to win. And Yasujiro steps in, and not even to be like, oh, I'm going to beat up Nicolas Cage. He starts fucking killing dudes with swords, and he's just like, yeah, I'm also going to get in on this fight. This looks like a good fight. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, he. Uh, I don't think he ever says anything in the movie. He's a, a, a character with no lines. Uh huh. He's supposed to be presented as complicated and challenging. I, I guess I, I, I can kind of see it. It'd be better if the movie had more of him and less of Nick Cage. I guess. Uh, there's a whole cast of characters who don't have names that are just around, and you're gonna get used to seeing them. There's a guy who looks like Charlie Day, who's dressed as a cowboy, and he only speaks in Japanese. Uh, and he's often leading groups of children around, but he doesn't seem to actually do anything. The sheriff is like this yeah, big he's, dude. He's one of the deputies. Yeah. The sheriff is this big dude who yells at one point and gets shut down and then never does anything relevant again. But anyway, at this point, we start going into the logistics of the suit. Once it's clicked shut, Bill Mosley's like, like I- I'm certain that by now you have noticed the particular features upon, upon your legs and garment. Uh, allow me to explain the full range of facilities to which this uh, this garment may deliver. Well, it's full of bombs. It's full yeah. of fucking bombs. And so he has... Two bombs on one on each arm, and it's oh, this can detect if you want to hit a woman. Yes, and so if you get that, it'll start to beep, and then it'll blow. Like one of your things will blow up if you don't stop that urge. Yeah, and then you've got two bombs, one for each testicle, and if you get the urge to fuck a woman, then those will start beeping because I want. My Sophia, because this is all so he can go get Sophia back, or Bernice, her character. Yes. Uh, I want my Bernice returned to me unsoiled, so you can't hit her, and you can't fuck her. And then also... How is he going to do that anyways in a full-body leather suit, with, which is locked shut? I mean, there are other ways to fuck than with a penis, Jeff. Obviously. <laughs> uh, and then also he has two bombs at his neck, and he's like, all right. So these, the ones on your arms and nuts are basically there as deterrents. Yeah. And then you've got two on your neck. You have a timer on your arm that gives you three days. Uh, if you can get Bernice to say her name into the speaker here, it'll give you two more days. Yeah. But if you don't deliver her back and have me unlock that with my key, then all of the bombs will go off at the same time and you will die. Yes. Great. Great. You up to speed? Now she's off. Here's a car. Here's a car, and she's off in this place we call the Ghostlands. Um, Some weird bandits drug her out there. You go get her and bring her back. Okay? Okay. And Cage tries to do something shocking by taking the car, driving about 20 feet, stopping, getting out, stealing a bike, and trying to escape, or just to go do the mission on the bike instead. Which everyone's like, oh, what a badass. What a cool move. And I'm like, no, that was the dumbest thing I've ever seen. I mean, I, I think... Because, again, this movie's supposed to be trying to get you to get everything through subtext. It's supposed to be that he's like, this car's bugged or designed to return to them or something. I don't want to take the co- It's probably got more no, bombs in I it. I assume it was, oh, he's cool because he has three days to do this, but he's not going to take the fast car. He'll do it on a bike because yeah. he's a badass. I mean, yeah, we can take it whichever way you want, but he doesn't look like a badass riding, riding away on a tiny little kid's bike with a basket on the front very yeah. slowly and awkwardly. It's not an amazing scene, and I'm like... Man, in another movie, or if it was filmed differently, I would have been like, oh, they did this for laughs. It's supposed to be funny that everyone's calling him a badass, you know, riding off on a little kid's bike with a fucking basket on it. Yeah. But instead, this movie plays everything deadly serious. Yeah. I'm like, no, that was dumb. And indeed, he manages to ride for like two minutes before Yasujiro shows up with the car. And he's like, fine, I guess I'll take the car. Too long to ride the bike, huh? Okay. And that's it. Yeah. That's like pretty much the first time he's really spoken is that that part right there. Outside of all the the uh yelling in the in the bank robbery prequel uh, or uh, prelude. Um so now he's in the car and he drives along for a while and then he starts to hallucinate. 
he sees the the ghosts of our ghost land. Yeah, and who are look like uh, a cartoonish sheriff warden and a bunch of prisoners, and also some samurai, and also some samurai, and they all are in a in a big bus. Yeah, there's like a giant bus driven by a dude who has been ridiculously horribly burned, and then everyone around it who is either in like full armor or just some random guy yeah or horizontal stripy prison outfits there's a few of those as well uh when he sees this his reaction is oh i should ram these ghosts yeah and he tries to and then it cuts to him lying on the floor with his car like up an embankment Mm -hmm. he wakes up in that wagon being uh taken to uh bergen or whatever city that is you start skyrim going to (laughs) yeah i mean oh you're awake Honestly, pretty much. He's on a fucking rolling wooden cart. Yeah, he he is on the ground, but then someone grabs him and then puts him on a fucking cart and drags him into town. And yeah. we get a long parade of him through the post-apocalypse town where we get all of our main cast of this town. We have the Rat Man and his crew who are the post-apocalypse mechanics and the ones with the most wild... 80s post-apocalypse flair yes they're the ones who are like oh i'm gonna have like tires for shoulder pads and a bunch of wires all over my arms that poof out and i'm gonna look like i'm wearing you know like a bike helmet with a bunch of spikes on it like they have the full old style mad max post-apocalypse look to them i think they also take advantage of them a lot when when you can tell that they've had to move their filming to japan because they their base of operations is pretty much a parking lot full of decatora Mm-hmm. Which are those super highly stylized and painted Japanese trucks? Yeah, um, which I, I think I learned about from like a Tekken game or something. But <laughs> but uh, but that's like a that's like a cool subculture in Japan. They just kind of put them in there because they're like, we don't even need to mess with these things. They look post apocalyptic enough. Yeah, here you go. You're the mechanics. You have a ton of cars, and your big ones are these like painted over trucks. Yes, we have the general weird culty types who are all in white with tons of streamers of white cloth going off of them they just want to dance in areas and go like the time or whatever yeah these are the ones who are gonna be like oh we're gonna say some weird cryptic shit Mm -hmm. uh we're gonna dance around we're gonna have one lady who's sort of in charge of it who's like Oh, he has thick red blood. That means the prophecy is coming true. A man with thick red blood. Right. Um, We also see some things that are interspersed that might just be his visions, like five women dressed in white chiffon standing on a cliff overlooking him. Which is his vision. That is his vision. But in this scene, anything may or may not be his vision. But that one is. Yeah. Um, And we also get the mannequins in the town where there are... That one bothers me. There are a bunch of both regular just mannequins and then one weird dude whose whole job is he's like oh i cover like living women living women in parts to make them living mannequins to hide them from the ghosts Mm -hmm. and that is where bernice will be bernice is currently turned into one of these living mannequins right i mean i guess the idea is supposed to be that he's hiding them from the ghosts or whatever but it really looks like he's because there's a scene where it shows him doing it like they show him putting the final pieces onto sofia butella like in a, in a flashback 
And he's like, yes, and when I place this final piece upon you, it is then that you will truly be mine, my beloved doll. And you're like, well, this is a fucking doll maker guy in this town. Oh, yeah. And then the instant that Nick Cage is like, listen up, you dumbass Ghostland weirdos. I need you to be my army for the rest of the movie. He's just like, okay, I'm on your team. And we, we never address it again. Him and his army of enslaved mannequin women. Well, it's <laughs> honestly not even just women because he gets dragged past several scenes here that they have basically set up where it's like oh here's a weird bombed out home where he has set up sort of a mannequin like nuclear family so it's just like oh here's a mom and some kids and they're all sitting around like not moving and then Nicolas Cage goes by and they do that like jerky yeah. ah, we look at you and then we'll go back to where we were and this guy's very distinctive because he's the one cowboyish person in this town. I mean, he's he's, he's wearing a suit and top hat and has like a bolo tie. He, he's basically dressed like a traveling snake oil salesman. Yeah. But it's clear that his he's a psycho that's that's forcing women to be living mannequins for his weird thing. And halfway through the movie, when Nick Cage is like, actually, you guys are my post-apocalypse army. He's like, OK, I'm a good guy. I'm on your side. So is these nameless women that I have literally uh, turned into objects. I mean, the thing is, the movie, outside of that one thing where he's talking to Bernice, treats that as like, oh, no, he's doing this for a reason. Like, I'm sure he is. It'll no, probably blow one of his nuts off. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, he is actually hiding them from things. These are the people who are too broken to live. And so only by being mannequinized can they be able to function. Mm -hmm. And it's fully mannequinized weird. and loving it. <laughs> yes. What a reference. <laughs> uh, we also get a guy named Enoch who is just like, hi, I'm the white guy who's like a scholar here and I have a moving room full of books that I will be with. I do appreciate that his moving room full of books appears to be swinging around like on a weird armature. It's not driving. It's it, Every time it comes into frame, it's on like a weird arc. Yeah, like it's like it's attached to a crane you can't see off screen somewhere because that's probably how they did it. I mean, it's basically just like, what do you have? Oh, a room on wheels that can open in the front. Yeah. And then inside is just a library and a chair. Yeah. Yeah. And he's mostly there to, uh, you know, spell doom for the future to, yeah. to, to portend problems. You have the five schoolgirls that are basically the fates or mu muses of this film, and they spend all their time doing uh, rehearsed complicated dances and, <laughs> and singing exposition. Well, they're the ones that hang out with the main lady who's yep. like, you have thick red blood. There are the the weird hangaround squad who are all like, ah, we're the spiritual ones. You're going to get a lot of these five women who sing, though, because all of the exposition is going to be handled by them. And then you have this town also... I mean, I say town, but it's basically a giant parking lot. And in the background is a fucked up bombed out building with a giant clock yeah and then you always have a group of guys that are holding a rope to the second hand to make sure that the clock doesn't move because if time, if time, time starts, starts then everything will be ruined yeah it'll blow it'll all happen again if time starts yeah so this is the setting where we will spend most of our time with Nicholas Cage and uh, Bernice. Yes. Yeah. We also meet one of Bernice's two accomplices who helped her escape here because she's on another cart being pulled into town. Yes. Um, 
So she knows Bernice and knows that she is still is alive and in town. But right away, she gets she gets taken to a bad place. This is when we were talking earlier that we, we, we were saying earlier that the uh, mannequin person is only dealing with the ultra broken women. But they he, uh, Nick Cage trades this random woman to the mannequin guy for Bernice with no say so. And she's fine. She's like, wait, don't leave me with this guy. What the hell? And he's like, don't worry. You'll be one of my beautiful mannequins. Oh, hmm. hmm. uh, so yes. Uh, Cage eventually gets up, yells at everyone and has oh. a big Nick Cage scene. Oh, my God. This is his first real time talking in the movie. And the, the first thing he's really saying, you know, he's saying, oh, no, don't touch me. Get away from me. Leave my blood alone. But then when he stands up, he's like, I will karate chop you. Hi fucking y'all! Hi fucking y'all! Karate chop every one of you! And you're like, Ugh, oh my god. god. <laughs> and I'm sure the director was in there like, fuck yes, that's what I wanted. I wanted him to be super racist right at us. That's what that's, I wanted. That's the man I sought. <laughs> this, this is the exact shit that I wanted. And I'm like, great, I guess. But yeah, he just has a scene that is very reminiscent of the army of darkness okay you <laughs> primitive screwballs like basically one of those and then eventually finds the uh the one of the mannequins that does have bernice in it and is like all right you're coming with me we're going and he wants her to say her name into the thing on his wrist but the people in town are like no she can't she's the ghosts have taken her voice Every, the, everyone here has had something taken from them and for her it was her voice and i wanted him to be like okay what was it for you because we never hear about anybody else. Yep. It's it's just... Well, what was it for me? Because they, they got me, too, didn't they? I, I rammed into them or whatever. Yeah, man. They took your car, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so... Well, then where's her car? Because she came here in one. I don't know. Probably also out there. Well, that doesn't make sense, because they took her voice. They should have left well, her. Well, yeah, but it's the, other, it's the other lady's car. That's oh, what she lost. Oh, okay. I understand now. I'll, I'll karate chop you. <laughs> Oh. But yeah, she can't talk for the middle of the movie. Yeah. Now there is, I'm going to gloss over a lot of shit, I'll say. Because most of the shit that happens here in town is basically slow, stylized shots of the town, a lot of people mm -hmm. singing and making proclamations, Nick screaming, Cage not a, having any of it. There's a lot of people just screaming because the guys who are on duty to hold the clock back are all just like, ah, ah, with everything they do, which makes it sound like maybe they should just tie that to something. <laughs> no, it has to they be They got a bunch of hand. fucking trucks. We they're, they are, they're, They have multiple active gassed up semis. Just attach it to one of those and just park it. What are nah. you guys doing? Oh. Well, that wouldn't be culty enough. No, it's got to be weird. It's got to be weird cult shit. Uh, and, you know, eventually Cage is like, all right, fucking Ratman. Hey, Ratman, you're the, the one in charge of like technology here. So I need gas because I'm going to go try and put gas in my car. And then I'm going to drag Bernice on the same basically rolling wooden cart that I got brought in on out to my car. I'm getting the fuck out of here. And everyone's like, all right, the ghost will get you. He's like, I don't give a fuck. I'm Nicolas Cage. Yeah. He leaves with Bernice. No, I'm not even in this movie. I called it. <laughs> goes to the car, gasses it up, and then starts taking all of the fucking mannequin shit off of her. 
By by which we mean you mean he keeps saying take it off. I mean he's also pulling shit he off. He is of pulling her. shit off of her, but he says, "Come on, take it off. Take it off. Come on, take it off. Take take it off." For 10 fucking minutes. <laughs> Not even close. But probably you're right. It's probably more like 15. Yeah. You're you're right. You're, you're right. I you know, I'm I'm being too charitable. <laughs> Thank you. Uh but the entire thing of him being like, "Oh, you need to take this off" is of course him getting far too excited cuz when he's like yeah, take it off. Take it off, baby. Take it all off. I mean, I guess. I felt like he didn't get turned on until he was pouring water down her throat and she let it run down her shirt. No, man. The whole was point like, of this is he's like, yeah, take it off. Take it all off. No, I know. It's it's all psychosexual bullshit. And then as soon as it's all off of her, he's like, yeah, here, take this, take this, and takes a canteen and just like pours a shitload of water into her mouth that like overflows. And then the little bomb on his testicle starts beeping. And blows the fuck up and he loses a testicle <laughs> yep falls over backwards he's like ah what the f- ah! and then he like collapses and when he wakes up again he's just kind of like all right i'm fine yeah it is wild that he's like ow oh my not anyway that's not gonna matter for the rest of this doot 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 loot he also does try to hit her at one point and and his arm starts beeping and he's like oh okay ah, ah. Ah, calm down that's why he basically starts telling her to take it off because when he is ripping it off mm-hmm. it starts to beep because it's like oh you're doing something violent towards a woman right. and so he's like all right i can't be the one to take yeah, this part off." part of was he's trying to shake her into talking because he really he wants his extra two days so yeah. he's trying to get her to say bernice into his wrist um, so there's a point where he's like getting violent about that and his arm starts to be like, oh, okay. okay. Um, but apparently him getting his nut blown off is enough for Bernice to come out of it enough to start talking because she crawls over to his unconscious body and like tries to say her name into the speaker and it does not recognize her. Yeah. But it is fucking, they go out and they come back like, all right, we're back. We're back at post-apocalypse town. All right. And then we get the sort of weird ghost story background for what is going on here, where they're like, oh, back in the before times, this area was built on a nuclear plant, and it made so much energy it could run an empire or destroy it. Anyway, some guy was driving nuclear waste in a bus and then he hit a bus full of convicts and that collision was enough to create a giant explosion that then covered the inmates with burning nuclear waste yeah you know how giant nuclear explosions turn everybody near them into mutants instead of vaporizing them and also you know how the off off uh gas the the shit that comes out of a nuclear power plant that you have to take and throw away is just a bunch of nuclear bombs yeah that's how that works yeah and so that's why you see the burnt up dude who's running the fucking bus and all that shit. You're like, oh, I guess all the samurais were the guards on there, man. I have no fucking clue. Who knows why they're there? Everything explode, and now we all live in the wasteland, and everyone's gone crazy. Yeah. So that that caused a giant explosion, and we don't know if that's what was part of the apocalypse happened after the apocalypse no idea who cares i mean meanwhile in samurai town the governor is like ah i'm in the brothel and i i'm not even doing anything sexual i just want someone to bring me sake and then tell me how great i am yeah he's hanging out with like 10 semi-geisha types and being they're, they're just like you know yelling about sake and they're like oh you're so excellent 
You are the best at everything. Wow, are, are you amazing? What a man. What a wonderful governor you are. You're so good. And then uh, at a certain point, he just kind of loses his shit and decides to threaten Susie, the, yeah. the, the girl that, that he keeps around. Basically, he's telling her that, like, hey, the only thing that stopped me from basically sexually assaulting you at all hours of the day has been that I had your older sister to sexually assault. So now that she's gone and I'm starting to get depressed and think she might not be coming back, I just want to let you know that the time for you to not be sexually assaulted is coming rapidly to an end. Now, all of that is definitely not said out loud. Mostly implied, yes. Yeah. he does. Because he, he keeps giving like, you know, Susie, it's almost time. Tick tock, tick tock. You're going to be my clock now. You're going to count down for when Bernice gets back or not. Yeah. I need you to say tick tock louder. Yeah. And eventually someone else gets involved. He gets mad at people. He starts calling for Yasujiro, who is clearly disgusted with all of this. Yeah. Weird. We get a whole Yasujiro scene to himself as well. Later on in the movie, we get a point where Yasujiro is just sort of hanging out on a balcony near the red light district. Mm -hmm. And some drunk dude with a sword goes wandering around harassing the ladies. And then one of them is apparently like, Hey, Yasujiro, I'm your sister, and I know you're only working for the governor because he said he'd let me go. Please, brother, he's lying. Be free. We will never see this sister again. Nope. This will not affect Yasujiro in any way. No. I mean, I guess it kind of does. He sort of ends up being a a mid-card bad guy slash good guy thing at the very end of the movie. Um, But yeah, he jumps down from the balcony and fucks up this dude and... I guess it's just a bunch of other random sword dudes that were also just sort of around. Yeah. Because he never gets in a fight with, like, one guy. Why would he do that? When he can be like, there's... This scene drove me nuts. Because this dude is doing exactly what he should be doing. Boisterously and drunkenly walking around the red light district part that is designed to be the brothel where you pick the woman you want to pay to sleep with. Yeah, and he's like, who who wants to sleep with me? Who's gonna get my money? And Yasujiro's just like, I should murder this guy and everyone nearby. How dare you? And it's like... Dude, you can't murder anyone who goes near your sister. She's a working prostitute. That was already the deal. If, uh, if, if, if word gets around you're doing that, you're going to get fired and she's going to get killed. But no, he's just like, ah, you're, you're talking about sleeping with prostitutes in that alleyway designed to showcase prostitutes for sleeping with. <laughs> by my boss. It's, God, there's just so much shit in this where I'm like, oh, you had the idea for a scene and it didn't matter if it made sense or connected to anything or was ever referenced we just or changed a- anything. I just wanted it to happen. Yasujiro needed a big fight scene and here it is. I wanted to give Yasujiro some backstory and it's like, oh, he has a sister who's, you know, made to be a prostitute and the only reason he's working is because the governor was going to let her go and, oh, and she tells him he's lying and you're like, okay, Will that ever come up again? No, never. We're never going to see the sister. He's never going to betray the governor. There's no point where he becomes a good guy. The end of the movie is him just murdering everyone. Yeah, he goes nuts and... Well, he doesn't go nuts. He does sort of betray the governor in that he kills like half the governor's men and doesn't help the governor. But he is still, for whatever reason, I assume if you asked him, they're gonna, I'd probably be told it was a samurai thing. He still wants to kill Nicolas Cage's character. It's weird. Eh, anyway, Nick Cage, I don't even remember how he gets the bomb in his arm blown up, but he also does get that. Uh, yeah, I don't remember how that happens either. It, it starts going off and he's like, what? No, I'm not. What, what do you? No, no, I, I, hang on. Bam. And his arm blows off. It doesn't blow up. 
his arm just gets blood red, and I guess it probably dies past that point, but we don't see it. It doesn't fall off or anything. Yeah, it feels like the explosions here, rather than being like, oh, these are big, like, frag grenade type blow your arm off or whatever. These are like pinpoint small, like, inner detonations, because it was enough to get one testicle, and this feels like it just sort of, like, blows a small hole in his arm probably yeah, like i think basically his wrist and hand are dead but he still has full control of his elbow yeah because once we get to the point where he's like oh i'm gonna go back to samurai town and be a big hero or whatever he has to get like a giant metal arm brace thing with a sword on it so he can you know be uh i mean the sword is not even built into it he gets that later in town it's just oh i need to have a big metal thing so i can swing my hand around yes and he has more visions uh including a further backstory fleshing out of the sequence that happens in the bank robbery and it turns out yeah he didn't shoot anybody in there even though he's being held he's been in prison for murder for a long time nick cassavetes had gone full crazy to the point where nick cage asked him in the middle of a rampage where he'd already killed the little boy why'd you shoot a kid did you take your meds today and he just goes no, did you? And then kills everybody else in the fucking bank. Yeah. So fucking psycho goes psycho, kills a bunch of people. They fight each other. Fight brawl, right out of the bank. Yeah, they brawl right through the door, out into the street. And then the cops show up and, you know, psycho will not put his weapon away, gets shot. Uh, Nicholas Cage runs. And that is why I'm like, did you manage to escape? And then only recently got put into jail, or did they get you there? There's no information there. But we do see when the cops are shooting at Psycho and him that a kid is in the crossfire, her mom gets shot, and she gets shot in the leg. And he's like, oh, I see Bernice has the same scar from where that kid got shot. Well, she's obviously young Sophia Butella. Okay, I that was my fault that you got shot. And we also see that, like, After he runs away, a red-gloved hand comes down and, like, pats her head. So the governor was referring to Bernice as his granddaughter, but you're like, oh, he probably just grabbed this kid off of the street after her mom died. Yeah, he's probably referring to a lot of people as his granddaughters. Yeah. We know it's at least two. So that's what's going on there. This connection that Nick Cage is ostensibly in part responsible for Sophia Butella's early backstory goes nowhere. Doesn't matter. He never tells her. No, he does. He does. I, He's it, like, oh, it was my fault that you got shot. That was me. I'm sorry. Yeah. It doesn't matter. She doesn't acknowledge it, and she, it doesn't do anything. She doesn't know or care what that would even mean. That's a childhood memory for her. It's not super important. And it doesn't really have any kind of thematic resonance or anything. I think the most it does is basically make him realize, oh, hey, when I was doing all those crimes, people got hurt. Yeah. And so he has yet another vision where he's like, oh, the the ghosts that haunt me told me that i need to do right by them and now i'm gonna i'm gonna go back and you know all these ghosts and people that we've hurt i need to make it right and when he goes and marshals this fucking post-apocalypse town he's like all right everybody we're gonna we're gonna go march on samurai town and by that i mean none of you are going to appear there with me we are all gonna leave together Mm -hmm. but none of you are gonna arrive with me yes yeah the whole town gets ready to march with them they're all doing that like uh that song from the end of les mis and and uh nope that none of them show up with him it's pretty much just the three core main characters who turn up there uh but yeah this is the part where he has the dumbest lines this is where he's getting his worst because he gets up there and he's like you know doing the listen all you primitive screwheads bit from uh from whatever 
But instead, he's like, I never thought I'd be standing here today having had an arm injury and having lost a testicle. Like, come on, man. Uh, And then then he goes off to get Ratman to help him with cars. And he's like, hey, Ratman, wait, I just need to talk to you. I want to give you a piece of cheese or maybe some pickled fish. So weird. And also the part where he, he goes, I understand now. I know what the ghosts want me to do because I... And he looks to the sky and shakes both fists as if he's yelling at God. I'm radioactive. What? What the fuck are you talking about? It is weird and not even weird in a compelling way. Just weird in a weird way. Yes. It's weird for weirdness sake. It doesn't. There's no resonance to this. Him saying he's radioactive. You think, oh, sure. I guess that might connect to the fact that this is a nuclear disaster uh, apocalypse we're in. That the ghosts are, are clearly nuclear waste uh, people. Uh, he doesn't even know about that. He doesn't know any of that. If, to him saying radioactive, I guess I'm dimly aware that there was a nuclear explosion at one point. Uh, Maybe he's just a big fan of that song. He's like, oh, I'm huge into the Imagine Dragons. <laughs> love them. Yeah. Love Imagining Dragons. Mm-hmm. Thunder. Feel the thunder. <laughs> that's, that's me. So he manages to be like, all right, town, let's go. And even though, like... Enoch and a couple of the other people are like, oh, if we try and leave, the ghost will get us. He's like, don't worry. Nothing will happen because I'm radioactive or whatever the fuck. And then the ghosts show up when they go to leave. And it turns out Psycho is one of the ghosts. This fucking bothers me. I hate hate this. He's fully like, you know, melty face burned and in prison outfit. And I'm just like, were you what? What's the timeline here? Were you one of the prisoners? Is it a thing where he's like, oh, all ghosts that go to hell become one of the prisoners in the ghost land? Mm-hmm. Like, what? Did the Why is he here? Did the apocalypse happen while Nick Cage was in jail and everyone was just really itching to get on board with post-apocalypse fashion? Like, they're like, well, big nuclear disaster happened. Society crumbled. You guys all saw Mad Max, right? Let's just do that. And there's a couple people like, no, I saw a boy and his dog, though, so I'm going to do that. Like, it's, that's what it was. Yeah, they're like, well, we're in an of the nuclear apocalypse and we're in some weird wasteland town you gotta pick one to be you pick you want to be a zardoz you want to be a boy and his dog you want to be six string samurai name your poison but every one of you's got to be some kind of post-apocalypse thing or at least some movie set in australia because those are essentially the same thing like priscilla's fine uh so yeah he goes and has a talk with psycho where he's like psycho i get it now i talked to the ghosts who have been haunting me and they told me I need to help people and help all the people that we hurt. And they so- have the- I'm sorry, Psycho. I'm sorry I left you to die, even though you murdered a bunch of people for no reason. They basically have what would have been, at the time they were filming it, the dumbest conversation being held in the English language. <laughs> Where he's like, Psycho, what happened to you? And he's like, I went to hell, man. Everyone burns in nuclear fire in hell. And you're like, you ever tried it? You ever tried burning in nuclear fire? fuck are you talking about i understand now that i have to help these people let me tell you something i've seen the children and they told me i had a purpose oh well i i i think we hurt people and we should oh but we we couldn't have yeah the fuck is this what is going on why are you here why are you in charge of these ghosts are you a hell boss we he doesn't even die in the shootout with between him and the police we saw see him getting hauled into a a cop car so he might even still be alive. He probably was executed at some point. I mean, the real question is, did he die and become one of the ghosts here? 
or was he on the prison transport and that was the thing that set off the apocalypse? Who knows? Yeah, so does that mean Nicolas Cage has just been sitting in a fakey-looking cowboy jail through the post-apocalypse? But again, we don't know when he got into jail because he ran away. Yeah. We don't see him getting put into jail from that bank robbery. Yeah. Who knows? I'm just It just feels like, let's say, at, at an, a reasonable estimate, it's probably at least 15 years. Because Sophia Boutella goes from looking she's like 14 or 15 to looking to she's like 30. Mm-hmm. Right? So, 14 or 15 years, at some point along that time, the apocalypse happens, and then all these subcultures develop. Including all people are using vocoders to make their voices sound weird, and people are covered in lights and stuff. And it's like, I don't think that's enough time. I think the post. I mean, that was basically Mad Max's timeline, where you're like, dude, it has been ten years. What the fuck are you talking? about? I thought the about? whole point of. I, I mean, I've never. I haven't seen Matt, uh, Road Warrior in forever. But Max I, himself was like, oh, I was a cop before the apocalypse. Oh, okay, all right. And then my family died, and now I'm out on the like open road being weird. And you're like. Dude, it has been a couple of years. What is going on with society? That's set in Australia. That, no, they that, were already like that. that they're already like that. You know, you get out far, you get like Bendigo or something, and it's like, yeah, it's just like that. It's just they like were that. they were ready for the apocalypse. They were ready to be the trendsetters. <laughs> apocalypse gonna come any day now. They'd say. Anyway, he talks to Psycho and convinces the ghosts to leave, and so now everyone's like, oh, we're free and we can go. We cut to Samurai Town, and. Cage shows up with Bernice and is like, here I am. Give me the key and get me out of this suit. And of course, the governor's like, fuck you. I wouldn't give you my piss, you piece of shit. You degenerate. And it's like, why not? Just fucking give it to him and he'll go. Yeah. Who why, gives a fuck? Wh- wh- but what whatever. do you care? And at this point, you know, he gets surrounded by dudes with swords and guns. And you're like, oh, this is the point where the entire post-apocalypse town comes in and they, you know, have a big fight between everyone here and there and. Uh, we'll see what happens. But no, none of them ever show up. I have to assume it was filmed in a different country. Maybe one of these scenes was filmed before the other one. Like, even through the entire end, like the whole last 20 minutes the of ghost this film, are done. none of them are here. We're not they will see... not show up again. Nothing. There's a part where Cage asks Cassavetes directly for help. And he's like, hey, can you help me on this one? And he's like, all right, but you got to tell the governor I, I sent you. And then he like goes like, you know, extends his arms outward and we pan up and the light gets real bright. And then we cut to this confrontation and we're done. We never see anyone from the Ghostlands ever again. Yeah. Actually, we do. There is a scene where, go- where a character goes running through and goes like, he won, he won. And they're all like, yay. Oh, yeah, because there is one girl from the Ghostland area who's, like, weirdly obsessed with Nick Cage. It's the one in the white outfit, seems, yeah. Uh, seems like, no, it's the one who has, like, the weird bangs that cover her eyes. Oh, okay, sure, sure. And she seems like in any other movie would have been like, oh, I'm going to be the weird, annoying sidekick you get. Mm-hmm. But instead, she just sort of runs around singing his praises and being like, take me with you, and that's it. Yeah, so at the end of the movie, she'll run through ghost the, the ghost lands again and be like, he won, and everyone will have a smile moment. Great. That's it for them. Anyway, the end of this movie is a giant fight where Nicolas Cage just fucking fistfights dudes until he manages to get a sword that gets stuck in the metal arm thing that he had made so that he could, you know, fight with his fucked up arm. So now he just has basically sword arm. Yes. Uh, before this, we, we I thought it was going to be a relatively short affair because... You know, when the governor shows up to, to uh, confront him, he's like, Yasujiro and my, my various samurais and what have you. And they all come out and like line up behind him. Right. 
And and then Susie finally snaps, runs, gets behind a Gatling gun, and mows down every bad guy there but the governor. Yeah, the only people who don't die to this fucking Gatling gun thing that are there are basically Cage, Yasujiro, and the governor. And then she gets shot by a couple of cowboys, mm -hmm. goes down, and then just everyone who was died immediately gets replaced by more guys, and it didn't matter. It's pretty much the exact same guys. Like, there's, they just have a guy hose turned on, and anytime a guy dies, there's just another one. Oh, I got one. a guy hose turned on. I'm you know sure, what I'm saying. Yeah, hello. Hey, now. But, like, it, it, you never get a sense that they're making their way through the town or anything. It's just no. an endless fight with disposable guys. And, yeah, you know, Cage kills a bunch of guys. Yasujiro tries to go after Cage, but it, I mean, the implication I got was, he was like, oh, anyone who tries to kill Cage that isn't me, I'm going yes. to kill. He he feels like he is honor-bound to kill Cage for some reason, but we don't know what that is. No reason why, He's and we'll got, never find out, because Yasujiro is going to get killed here. Yeah, he has no particular grudge that we can suss out against Cage. We have no idea what this is about. No, the first time they have met was basically when Cage got brought out of the fucking jail cell, so... Yeah. For some reason, though, he's just like, no, this one's mine, even though he never speaks. Yeah. And then anytime someone runs up and is like, I'm going to attack this guy, Yasujiro will step in, murder the assailants, and then go back to fighting Cage. Yeah. So meanwhile, Bernice is trying to help her sister, uh, her Susie. So she has her loaded on that same fucking wagon um, and is trying to drag her through town and keeps running into walls of guys because there's just an endless amount of them. And Yasujiro eventually shows up. And confronts her with a sword, but then walks past her and starts killing guys so she can get away. So again, we don't know what his deal is. He's just, even when he's on his own, he's like sort of a good guy. Um, Bernice eventually loses Susie. Susie well, no, she, she leaves, leaves her behind. Susie in an alley. Who's, yeah. Because she's like, I've been shot. I'm going to die. And she's like, no, you'll be fine. You're strong. You're not going to die. I got to go kill some of these waves of guys. Yes. But when Susie's being left alone, the governor shows up and he's like, oh, Susie, it's you. My... My granddaughter, come here, I need you to come with me. You're going to be my number one girl. And she's screaming and trying to get away. And then Bernice shows up with a gun. And now there is a scene before that where for some reason, sure. the governor goes back to his brothel. And oh, yeah, he gets, yeah. for no reason I can tell, all of the women there are like, we hate you now. You don't have money now. Now you are a failure and you are terrible. Leave. Get out of here. And I'm like. What are you talking about? What changed? What what has happened in between, like, when he was here before and now, outside of a bunch of dudes got murdered? He didn't get murdered. None of his property is gone. He's still in charge of things. Yeah. And also, none of you were there. Yeah. How do you I, even know what's going on? It's very confusing. But yeah, he gets emasculated, effectively. So he starts calling out for Susie, and then he finds her in the alley. Yeah. And then Bernice fucking murders him. Finds him and shoots him a bunch of times. Uh, Cage, who, I don't know why he's so good at samurai sword fighting, and I assume it's because he's Nick Cage. Yep, he just, they, they got a bunch of fight, there's a bunch of fight, is fight, 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 anyway, he fights Yasujiro, and eventually slices him through the stomach, and Yasujiro dies. There's a part where you think they're gonna be okay, like, you know, you keep thinking it should be, because Yasujiro's been helping for the past ten minutes, and then there's a part where they're, they're pointing swords at each other, and they both kind of lower their swords very slowly, and Yasujiro sheaths his, and then he pulls some EI Jutsu shit and tries to cut him in half really fast, and Cage just ducks it and kills him. Yeah. Which is like, was this guy even supposed to be cool? I don't... Nick Cage looks like a 60-year-old man. Yeah. Cage just slowly crouching and then slicing Yasujiro across the stomach is like, 
man, that just made your big badass villain guy look very dopey. Yeah, it does. It's it's like when WrestleManias would bring out like the Iron Sheik like 25 years past his prime and everyone would take turns to, you know, selling falls from him. Oh, yeah. I mean, it looks like that. It's like, you know, when the Undertaker's like, oh, he's undefeated at WrestleMania. And you're like, yeah, but he shouldn't be. Look at this poor guy. And you're like, doesn't matter. He's fucking anyone he fights. He's going to win. You're like, all right. But he's looking more Frasiery than ever. <laughs> and the end of the movie is just fucking Bernice, Nicolas Cage, and Susie sitting on a bench being like, well, this is the end of the movie. <laughs> I like that they have those slow walk shot where the three of them are leaving town. And Cage, I guess, has just decided to wear all those bombs as his regular outfit going forward. Well, sh- he finally got the key from the governor. Yeah. And, and then he unzips it, but he just keeps walking around it. I'm like, dude, like, you yeah, still have like fine. four grenades on you. Take that thing off. Yeah, man. Like, you can like the the black leather look, but at least take the bombs off of it. Yeah. Whatever. So, there you go. That's the end. Yeah, the end of the movie. Great. They all are just like, yay, we did it. We forgot to mention the wall of geisha heads sticking out and slowly rotating. Uh, it's while just part of the weird shit in the background. Recite a poem and, and yeah. There's a bunch of weird shit in the background in this movie. Just assume that weird shit is happening all the time. Indeed. All right. So let's, God, let's get into, I guess, our bests and worsts for this movie. It's going to be wild if they're not the same things. Because the best thing about this movie, sorry. Best thing? The uh, the stylized stuff in the background. Like all the really cool, like, Ratman costumes and and, uh, people dressed in ripped plastic, letting it whip, whip around in the breeze. That shit is neat visually. And fun to look at. And I wish the movie was about it instead of just being about Nick Cage in a leather jumpsuit being the slowest badass there's ever been. <laughs> Great. So that's my favorite thing. All the cool stylistic post-apocalyptic shit. You? Uh, I do like when the movie does the environmental storytelling. The banners in the background, the marquees, yeah, the little bits that are going on that are like, oh, we want to tell you some backstory to what's happening without just having someone come out and explain it. I'm like, oh, I like that. Mm -hmm. And it's honestly worse when they're like, oh, when we're in post-apocalypse town, everyone tells us about the story about when the fucking bus hit a bunch of prisoners. I'm like, the fuck? What is this? You could have done this a different way. Yeah. None of this matters. And it's, I like when they do, Good environmental storytelling. That's my favorite thing. What is your least favorite thing in this? God, that I mean, it's going to be repetition. Any sure. any scene where characters just say their line and then say it and then say half of it and then say it again. And it, like, I know that there are times when, for the purposes of making a, an, an affecting story, you need to have a character repeat things. I am used to that conceptually. Yeah, but this movie, it's like every scene. It's like if if the uh, the Lord of the Rings franchise had nothing in it but Sam. <laughs> I mean, we will be, Mr. Frodo. It's especially bad because there are so few times where people say things because this is so heavy on just weird ambient nonsense. Yeah. That when people do talk, you're like, oh, I should pay attention to this. And they're just going to repeat themselves and say weird shit. So it ends up being like, all right, fucking it feels like all of the lines are doing this because there are so few lines. Yes. Yeah. It's, It's just annoying. This movie feels overlong, and that's one of the reasons it does. Yeah. What about you? What's your least favorite thing? I mean, the other reason that it feels overlong is it drags out 
it's I want to show you how weird my world is Mm -hmm. to a point where it overstays its welcome. Yes. You know, when you're like, here's my weird post-apocalypse town. Look at all these weird people in it. And you're like, cool, you can do that in like a couple of establishing shots. And then while plot is happening, you can have weird shit going on in the background. That's fine. But he was like, oh, no, this movie has to be about the weird shots that are going on. And I need to linger and linger on them. Yeah. So, yeah, it is too long by far, and it feels like it is that way because of padding more than anything else. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Let's go ahead and give our ratings then. From zero to five, we will each give this a rating so we get a final rating out of ten. Jeff, what do you rate Prisoners of the Ghostland? Two, I think is about right for me. Um, I, I, I would almost make it as far as two and a half, although... I'm going to be honest, there were parts of this movie where I was just hovering my mouse over the screen because it's the kind of movie you have to watch in the rental service. Um, uh, hovering my mouse over... The, I get, that feels like it's an insult. When that's how you watch 100% of movies. Yes. Excuse me. Um, to see how much fucking longer there was. Yeah. Because it's like, oh, for God's sake, just stop talking about the same thing over and over again. So it's boring and it drags. So I'm going to give it a two. Great. What about you? Uh, But <sighs> you still, I should say, the reason it's getting that high is because, again... It's a lot of neat stylistic shit to look at. Yes. There's a lot of cool visual work done on this. It's a lot of neat special effects. Yeah, I feel like on most days I'd probably give it a two and a half. Mm -hmm. I'm going to give it a two because when I was watching it, I for some reason I was like, no, I don't have any patience for your bullshit today. Like as I was watching, I was like, nope, don't care, don't care, don't care. If I was in a generous mood, I might have given it more, but it's a two. It's just... It's not enough, and yet so much more than you want. Yeah. And there you go. A four out of ten. The food is atrocious. Prisoners of the Ghostland, a movie that is probably best left in the pile of Nick Cage movies you don't need to see. Yeah, yeah. So, there you go. Thank you so much for joining us for our review of Prisoners of the Ghostland. We will, of course... Be back in another couple weeks with another episode. But in the meantime, if you like the show, you want to support us, and you can head on over to patreon.com slash system mastery, and you can support the show. Any amount helps us out, lets us keep doing what we're doing. We'd appreciate it. But every level also unlocks more bonus content for For the shows we do. That's right. And it's a great way to get a ton of great listening uh, for a back because we have a huge backlog yeah we got a ton of stuff in there all of the different levels unlock stuff and of course we are right now at the ten dollar a month level mm-hmm. uh you get everything we are still doing our small screen superheroes with the adaptations of comic heroes in live action tv shows in tv mastery and who baby we we got a whole week full of weird nonsense from japan this time hooked a whopper i'm excited about this because we watched the japanese spider-man tv show and it is something it really is so that is at patreon.com slash system mastery and of course if you can't support us financially we understand give us a rate a review tell someone about the show Help us grow, and that'll help us Mm -hmm. keep doing this. Craft us a potion that will protect us from the chillblains of the witch. (laughs) Sure, why not? Do that. Do that.
<sighs> Thank you so much. We'll see you in two weeks with another episode of Movie Mastery. And until then, you all have a good one.